women making waves. Do. What, do you just throw the food at these animals of yours, do you? Well, I did actually throw Murray's dinner just then. I just literally threw it in and he looked mm-hmm. at me and said, that was quick work. I didn't even have to sit down and wait because I usually make him wait. I make him wait to sit down very calmly and then I put the food in the bowl and mm-hmm. I was always trained to let them sit and then I say, all right, now it's time for your dinner. You don't make them put on a, a bib or anything, though, do you? No, I don't make them put a bib on, no. I mean... If I was trained to do that, as mm-hmm. in if the dog trainer said to me, do that, I probably would have done, actually, because the dog what, trainer told do, me do to. Do everything you're told by dog <laughs> trainers. Then. I do. Yes, I do, because I'm really, really keen on getting it right. I need to make my dog sociable. He's a big dog, Linda. He's a very big dog. And people mm-hmm. get frightened of big dogs, don't they? Apparently. Yeah. So, so you, you took him out to dinner the other evening, did you, to a friend's house? I how, did, how yes. Did that, how did, did that go when they saw well, this well, wolf coming towards them? <laughs> Well, actually, in our friend's eyes, Murray was a wolf because she said that she'd been used to her son's two Labradors coming to stay with her. And that's why we were allowed to bring Murray because I was very, very frightened of uh, leaving him when we had bonfire night on the Saturday. Um, Because the previous night, he'd really got so upset by it, which is the first time. I mean, he's three years old, but he got very upset by it. Hmm. So I thought, I cannot leave him. He's my baby. I cannot leave him. So we brought Murray. And as soon as our friend opened the door, she was so shocked because Murray literally got up on his back legs and it was literally about to cuddle her with his front paws. Anyway, I calmed Murray down. We walked (laughs) in, but he was brilliant. He was absolutely brilliant. He just stayed calm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did well. We did very well. In and what did he do throughout the evening? Was he sipping a glass of wine? Or uh, was he just lounging around the floor? I left him to have his water and he glugged it down and he was a happy bunny. So I, I felt very proud of myself for all my training that I could bring my dog round to somebody's house that is not usually very au fait with dogs. Mm. And I did very well. I, I'm going to just pat myself on the back with that one, well, actually. The more I think yes, about well it, done. the more I did. So bonfire night for you, Linda. Is it, uh, is it a good one for you or do you find that... I didn't really notice. It? I didn't really notice it, to be quite honest. Mm. I did see some fireworks that were quite pretty across the field. I have no idea who was doing that. I do have friends mm-hmm. across the field and I nearly texted them to say, is that you? Um, but <laughs> they probably wouldn't notice the next day and wondered what I was talking about. But I did wonder if it was them letting off the fireworks, which oh. then led me to thinking, why didn't you ask me along? Oh, but, Linda, you mean you're feeling a bit left out? Well, it's a bit, a bit left out. But I haven't said uh-huh. that. A bit cold outside. To be yeah. honest, better sitting in front of the TV and watching that, in my opinion. Mm. But But, come on, uh, tell me, though, you have a great story, don't you, about your dad and fireworks? Oh, my dad. Go on, tell us about that. Yeah, come on, because that was very funny. Yes, that was when I was really young, and he used to always let off fireworks in the the garden. But unfortunately, one year, and I think he'd had a couple of beers, but uh, Mm. one year, a spark got into the box. He didn't bother closing the box or keeping the fireworks anywhere safe. No, no, he, he just kept them at his feet and just kind of leant down and then set, let off another firework. And of course, a spark got into the box, the open box, and the whole lot went off. But of course, when it, when they're in a box, they're going off in all directions, you know, vertically, horizontally, you know, the lot. So there was, there was it was like a battlefield, to be quite honest. I'm not sure what he did because I ran in and hid under the kitchen table and refused to ever 
have fireworks again in the house, you know, next yeah, year. Yeah, it was quite he, scary. It was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. It was like loud bangs, lots of light explosions, but it was over quite quickly, but it didn't feel like it at the time. Mm. You know, the whole box went up in a wonner. So probably terribly, terribly dangerous, actually. Um, and we were probably quite lucky. We, we kind of lived in a very quiet place. We are probably quite l- lucky about that, or else if you, if you hadn't been in a quiet place, I think you'd probably have injured people. Yeah, that would have been very awful. true. Yeah, but... So did your dad ever get over that? Did he decide never again or did he well, ask? Well, he did say next year, shall I get some fireworks? <laughs> I don't think he sounded overly keen to my ears at the time. And I said, no. <laughs> and Enough. Eight-year-old, nine-year-old, no, no way. I don't want ever to be close to fireworks again. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, we used to have them down the village green here. I don't think they do them at the moment, but uh, they used to have them down here. But, you know... They, it's still, even at an organised event, it can still get a bit hairy, you know. I mean, things, I showers can. of sparks coming down on you and things like that when it's windy. It was very mm. windy a few years ago and uh, there was sparks everywhere. So I'm not a big it's... fan. I'm not a bit, I don't mm. really see the point well, no of the my. whole firework mm. thing. I mean, they're mm. very nice in the sky and everything, but enough. Just don't, just don't do it. Absolutely. So I think you and I are of the same view, aren't we? If we can put it out there that we'd like to ban fireworks, we would. We? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we were the Prime Minister, we would. Yes, we'd would be we? complete spot sports. Yes. Yes, we yeah. would. We we'd, would be. would be a long sports. list of things we'd be banning, but fireworks would be up there. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast, brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. So we've got another couple of great women to talk to today, Susie. We have indeed. Yeah. We've got Jan Moore, who's going to be talking to Polly Ingham Watts, who's the general manager of Wimpole Estate. Have you ever been to Wimpole? I have. I have years I ago when the would. children, yeah. yes, when the children were very young, but I haven't been since and I feel ashamed I haven't because it is an amazing place. It is, isn't it? And it's very, very large. Can you imagine being in charge of all of that? Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's bad enough just being in charge of a house, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It is. I'm really looking forward to actually to listening to that because I think it's a huge job and I think you're going to be quite dedicated to it, haven't you? And then there's Hannah Ross. We're also Mm. talking to Hannah Ross. Yeah, Hannah Ross. Well, I read the book and it was an amazing book, Revolutions. It's about women literally riding bikes, literally doing something very different to what they would normally have done a hundred years ago. Mm. Couldn't ride More, actually. Yeah. More like 130 years ago, in fact. That's right. It was the end of the 1800s, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. So it makes it even more intriguing. Mm. So... Women that have cycled journeys across uh, Europe or East Asia. And there's women who were told that they couldn't ride a bike. They weren't allowed to ride a bike Mm -hmm. now. If you think about that now, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I know. It really is. But in those days, it it gave women freedom. And and really, that wasn't a good thing to to parents, to anyone else who were worried about things happening to them, I suppose. And even scientists didn't really agree doctors you know many of them didn't really agree that it was a good thing because you know maybe it was it was um, interfering 
with uh, with their womanly parts, and mm. yeah, they, they it was it was really looked down on by a lot of people actually. And I suppose you had to be quite it's a bit like women drivers at the same time, or, or just yes. after that, women yes. driving cars. You know, it was kind of looked on as very very odd and very quirky. But I guess you know it gave women freedom. It does give you freedom having a bike. Yeah, it does. I think. By going on a bike instead of walking, which obviously took you longer to get from A to B, cycling was a quicker way of getting where. And yeah, I just, it's a lovely book. And Hannah is fantastic. So yeah. I'm looking forward to talking to her. Yeah, indeed. Women Making Waves. Most of us will have visited National Trust properties and I think probably over the last few months we may well have gone to more of our local properties. So today I've got the honour of being at Wimpole Hall at Arrington to talk to Polly Ingham Watts who is the General Manager about her role in keeping this large and incredibly complex estate running. So thank you for having us, Polly. So can you tell me a bit about how you came to be the General Manager of the National Trust Wimpole Hall? Yes, I can. And uh, thank you for being here. What, what an absolute privilege. Um, so I have been working for the National Trust for around six and a half years, and I have had the absolute joy of working at three of the most astonishing states in the National Trust. So um, we're full of many special places, and I think I've worked at some of the most special. So I've worked at, at Cliveden near Maidenhead, where I started in commercial events um, and uh, digital marketing, moved through into visitor experience um, and how we tell our stories for our visitors and how we run a big, complex visitor operation. Cliveden is one of the busiest sites in the National Trust, over half a million visitors a year. I then moved through to Anglesey Abbey and became the general manager there. But when the opportunity to come and work at the Wimpole Estate came up, I just couldn't resist. And the reason for that is because coming out of coronavirus and where the country is at in terms of its recognition of the urgency of climate change, I don't believe that in the National Trust there is a single estate that has a better opportunity to make a difference than the Wimpole Estate in terms of what we represent with regard to sustainability, with regard to circular economy, with regard to food production, in terms of how we have adapted to the climate change around us and the ongoing work that we are doing. So we believe at the moment that we are a net zero estate in terms of our carbon, but we have got a lot more work to do. We've also come through a period where we have had huge infrastructure implementation and now there's the opportunity to rebuild the visitor business after you know, the introduction of a new car park, new renewables programme, new cafe facilities and actually really being able to add value to what the local community needs from Wimpole. So all of those things together meant that it was the right moment for me to join the Wimpole estate. And on top of that, I do think that something that I bring is, is storytelling and how we connect our supporters to the work that we do. Before I joined the National Trust, I was a theatre producer. So I worked actually all over the world. Uh, so I worked a little bit in America, I worked in Scotland, I worked across the UK, Oxford, a little bit in Suffolk as well when I first graduated. And what I realised when I came was transitioning from theatre into the National Trust or into the heritage sector was what drives me is making a difference to people through connection, connection with our places. I believe in conservation, but I absolutely believe that what we care for has value because of what it means to people. And that's why I do what I do. And that's why I'm here at Wimpole. 
Wonderful. Could you just tell us a bit about the challenges? Because this is a very complex site, isn't it? You have the farm here, you have the mansion here. Um, as you were saying, we've got there's the restaurant here. And of course, I know that there's the green recovery scheme, which is a, an additional amount of work. So can you tell me a bit about the challenges of running such a complex and varied site? And it's huge, isn't it? It really, it really is vast. So we are around 3,000 acres in total of grade one listed parkland gardens, and then of course our, our arable farm. So we are the only in-hand lowland arable farm within the National Trust and of course we are organic as well. We have our livestock farm, we also have a grade one listed house and collection that we care for as well as of course the visitor business and all of the commercial elements that go alongside that. I think the challenges of the Wimpole estate are akin to any business in that actually the biggest challenge for us is how we deliver brilliantly every single day for our supporters. How do we provide exceptional service? How do we make sure that the food and beverage is running really well? How do we make sure that people are connecting with, with the estate as well as possible? How are we providing great access, for example? But also then, how are we able to look long term? How are we able to think strategically and draw together all of the ideas about what we could become into the future? And, and I think that's the same for every single business. Um, but one example of that for us this year is the delivery of the Green Recovery Challenge Fund alongside delivering our business as usual. So we are funded by DEFRA. We've been extremely fortunate to be funded around uh, 1.3, 1.4 million in order to deliver on the estate responses to climate change. So that includes converting some of our arable into uh, wood pasture or into an agroforestry business. So we're increasing our carbon capture, diversifying our farming business, but also making really clear changes around uh, the carbon impact of our operation overall. So that's uh, changing equipment in food and beverage, for example, because that's one of our biggest areas where we uh, where we use carbon or send carbon into the atmosphere is through the food and beverage business. So those changes will make a really big impact. But how the team are able to deliver every single day while thinking long term can be a challenge. We have an incredibly talented team here at Wimpole um, and we have a number of heads of department experts in their field who will drive the engine. I see my role as being able to help people to collectivise, to build the culture of the estate and send people in the same direction. And of course, again, coming out of coronavirus, we continue to be in a period of uncertainty with regard to business rebuilding. And at the moment, we're really trying to understand what does the world need from Wimpole in 2022 and beyond? What is different now than maybe two years ago? Actually, a lot of the principles are still the same, but we can lean even more into and the sustainability of the Wimpole estate, which has been part of our history for hundreds and hundreds of years. The house has expanded and contracted in boom and bust and in bankruptcy and abundance, but actually the estate, the land, has been the constant and that has been sustainable and that's what we want to continue. There are, can't be many places, even in the National Trust portfolio, that have a responsibility for amazing paintings and the building plus a farm with heritage breeds, plus now having been able to actually do these extraordinary surveys that you've been able to do with the green recovery money to discover different ranges of bats and all sorts of other wildlife and flora um, on this site. And it's, it's quite a thing actually, isn't it, to try and keep all those plates spinning to actually decide where the priorities are in terms of the collection in the house. 
and the collection out on, on the estate. Absolutely. Um, Jan, if you want my job at any time, <laughs> you've absolutely <laughs> nailed uh, the, 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 the core challenge. And um, we actually had our um, local constituency MP, Anthony Brown, visiting us this um, October just gone and, and he asked what's the biggest challenge and I said when you have that many priorities that are all important and many of them urgent actually which one do you pick and my job every single day our jobs in the National Trust is to make the right decision and it is always that balance between conservation and access that's at the centre of my job and so that is what guides us in terms of our priorities. And it is the multifaceted nature of Wimpole, as you've just so brilliantly described, that makes it the most extraordinary, um, self-sustaining, circular economy estate, but also uh, yeah, one of the most special in the National Trust. It's, and it's, as you say, it's about conservation. It's now about the development of the agroforestry and all of that, which, which I'm having a bit of a part of in, in terms of showing kids around and so on, but also the visitor experience so that when people come through the gates, they're having a wonderful day. So it, it really is an incredible challenge. No, I don't want the job. Thanks very much, Polly, <laughs> for the, the offer. Is, the door is open. <laughs> I know I live very locally, but I think, no, that's enough. So tell me about a typical day then for the general manager there isn't a typical day is there but I mean what might a day look like for you um, again I was uh, talking to a friend only about this the other day um, I have the least routine I think of anybody that I know there are there are no two days the same and that's one of the reasons that the job is so extraordinary because one minute you can be having a conversation about cleaning contracts or about wage ratios, um, but then we can also have a conversation about how we're building the culture of the estate, how are we caring for our volunteers, how are we celebrating the work that we do, how are we, how are we connecting with the community and creating brilliant opportunities. And then I'll go into a board meeting about the Green Recovery Challenge Fund, whereas the client, I have responsibilities um, around making sure we're delivering for the, for the end users who are of course our staff our volunteers and the supporters of the estate overall but then maybe for example earlier this month uh, in October we were hosting the uh, climate summit which was joint between Hilary McGrady our Ad director general and DEFRA uh, which uh, we were hosting um, the head of the Soil Association, the head of the RSPB and, and many other significant landholders across, across the country. Uh, the landholders in the room represented 60% of the land uh, within the UK which was totally extraordinary and that event was hosted here mm. at Wimpole and it was my privilege to be able to work with the team here on the ground to make sure that that day went brilliantly which is every detail from is the tea and coffee going to come out at the right time to making sure that actually Hillary has the right briefing notes around Wimpole to make sure, making sure that the, the photographs and the detail around Wimpole goes as well as possible. So there really is no one day the same, um, but it's, it's the connectivity with people which is, makes the job so special. And that's the thread that runs through it every single day. If I haven't connected with people in a working day, I'm not doing my job well, I don't believe. You mentioned volunteers and I mean certainly without a team of volunteers Wimpole would have great difficulty. What sort of work do volunteers do here? We absolutely could not care for the Wimpole estate without our volunteers, without the time and dedication and skill set that they bring. And we have over 500 here at Wimpole and they cover a myriad of responsibilities. We've got 
very skilled volunteers who work in the maintenance team through to gardens team volunteers who may have a herbaceous border uh, talent and skill set and some who are very very happy just to get involved in our apple picking for example we have conservation volunteers we have room guide volunteers in the house we have uh, volunteers just like yourself Jan who are connecting with children and young people around food and sustainability and biodiversity uh, with regard to the Green Recovery Challenge Fund we have tree planting volunteers we have countryside volunteers we, we, we really actually if you, if you want to get to connect with people if you want to learn something new if you want to be outdoors and um, making a difference to wildlife and nature there are opportunities here similarly if you're interested in history and culture and again connecting with people sharing those stories there are opportunities here and I like to see the estate as, as a community in and of itself. We aren't, we aren't kind of functioning in our silos. We are one body that are, that are working towards the end goal. And we are, we are greater than the sum of our parts. It's only collectively that we can deliver what we need to for Wimpole. The um, closure over the COVID must have been an extraordinary hit for a, a, an estate like Wimpole when your, all your volunteers go off the site particularly in terms of keeping, well, not just the house and its contents, but actually the gardens because things continue to grow and the animals are still there. Mm -hmm. And how, how on earth did you all manage during the time when I, I know that there are 90 plus volunteers in the course of a week who look after the gardens? And Absolutely. And the team here did a truly phenomenal job. Um, I joined Wimpole after those initial lockdowns so of course um, as we talk we are still in the middle of the coronavirus crisis but actually those those lockdowns which made it so challenging um, we have we have now hopefully passed through although we are heading into winter um, and uh, the team worked incredibly incredibly hard and we're, we're still learning about some of the outcomes of, of the challenges of that period so within the gardens actually some of the herbaceous borders will bounce back really quickly but actually what potentially our visitors don't see is that there are now self-set weeds that will take years to weed out truly because we weren't able to maintain to the standard over those lockdown periods and there will be rooms in the house that have had a different climate experience in terms of in terms of the atmosphere or in terms of moisture because they were closed up actually in terms of conservation keeping an equilibrium can be more valuable than closing the doors on the building so we're still learning about some of the outcomes some of the challenges from being closed down and of course a huge financial impact as well perhaps the biggest one that I see is is of course when people spend time away from the estate when our volunteers spend time away it's making sure that they as a group feel as cared for as they did before the coronavirus and hopefully we can build back stronger because actually we uh, in terms of our volunteering we know that that social connectivity for some people it's that routine that regularity seeing people they care about just as much as the estate that they care about is incredibly important um, and we know that we need to keep building in that area. I came the other week and you were giving awards to people and there was a couple who'd volunteered for the National Trust for over 30 years and, and I was just astonished that, that people really just see not necessarily just this site but, the, but as, as part of their own lives and as you say, absolutely care about the work they do. I mean, certainly when I do when I do the garden tour in the walled garden, and you see those people there, with it's always the same folk with the wheelbarrows and so on. And you think crumbs, you know, they have a garden at home, but here they are, 
just enjoying and, and caring for this, this very special place. Yeah, absolutely. The, the dedication from our volunteers is what, is what keeps Wimpole mm. and, and the National Trust more, more broadly keeps the wheels turning. And uh, that event that you were talking about, we were celebrating just under, just under 2,000 years worth of volunteering <laughs> collectively. When you add up every, everyone who was being celebrated um, end to end, um, uh, it, it took us back a very, very long way. Mm. Um, and, and that is so important to us and making sure our volunteers being cared for and being part of the community will mean that we can continue to operate in that way. But I am also interested in how we can create more flexible volunteering opportunities as well because people who work full-time, people who have other caring responsibilities or lives that are a bit more topsy-turvy actually may want to be less consistent with their volunteering and we, we want to be able to welcome those people to the charity as well. So that's something we'll be working on into the future. Yes, I think that's an interesting thing. I was asked that actually on Monday when I was doing an adult tour of the of the ball garden and somebody said, I don't know that I could give some regular time. And I said, well, I'm not sure that you actually need to, but there must be ways that very much like the team that I'm part of where, where we booked in for particular days but we're not here every Tuesday so there are lots and lots of ways in to being able to be a volunteer on your own on your own terms I think. Absolutely and we hope there to be more in the future. That's, that's really good to hear. So uh, this extraordinary job that you do where you're never sure well, how the day is going to be and I know that you're actually on site duty today so the phone could ring and you might have to disappear off. What do you do when you're not at Wimpole then, Polly, to actually <laughs> clear your head of all of these things? Ah, what, what, what a lovely question. So actually, at the moment, what I do is when I'm at home, I spend more of my time thinking about Wimpole, which makes me sound like I don't have a very rich life. But there is a reason for this at the very present time is that I am also studying for an apprenticeship for a, a master's in business alongside working. And actually, that master's degree is directly related to Wimpole. So I, I spend time um, thinking deeply around strategic areas for Wimpole, applying my learning from the university to Wimpole. So actually, at least one day a week beyond work is spent studying, which actually I love. I find it very therapeutic, believe it or not. Uh, and having the freedom to think again, as you've heard a little bit about what my normal working life is like, actually having headspace is fantastic. Um, I'm also a huge advocate of um, physical health and well-being and I know that's made a huge difference to my life but getting out into nature, walking my dog, spending time with, with friends and family makes an enormous difference and actually that it's not just about switching off actually for me that's about being even more connected with the world around us and that's sometimes where I do my very best thinking so I'm a huge advocate for that. Mm. But you're so lucky I'm just thinking looking out of your window <laughs> into the gardens and if you've got a problem to solve then you can walk out and look at the cattle and walk up the hill and I know every time I come I see you showing people round and very actively out on, on the estate because it is the most extraordinary place and lots of it most of us know nothing about. We can just keep coming and coming. You, you, you really can. You, you can't do Wimpole in, in a day if you're visiting. Um, but actually, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that, that when you work for an organisation like the National Trust and particularly at an estate like Wimpole, it, it is not just a way of earning a living, it is a way of life. And, and I feel incredibly privileged to be able to spend my time in that way. And I hope that the rest of our staff and our volunteers also feel that. Because just walking up the drive, you feel a sense of peace and connection that is hard to find anywhere else. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your day with us. Thank you. And for us to be able to find out a little more about uh, running this extraordinary, and it is an extraordinary place because of the diversity of everything that's on this, this site. So thank you very much indeed, Polly. Thank you. Polly Ingham Watts, Susie, was one of the most enthusiastic people I've ever heard. I mean, she's just bubbling with enthusiasm about the work that she does. It's great. I think she eats shreddies in the morning, actually. <laughs> I think she does. <laughs> I don't know where she gets her energy from, but my word, that's a huge job. Mm-hmm. And she's got so much enthusiasm. Fantastic. Well done, her. I guess that's all we've got time for on this edition of Women Making Weave, Susie. We'd like to thank our guests, Polly Ingham-Watts and Hannah Ross, as well as our contributor, Jan Moore, and her engineer, Tony Salford. Now, we're always on the lookout for women who are doing interesting things. And if you know of a woman who you think we should be talking to, please do get in touch. You can contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at Women Making Waves Radio. You can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or visit our website womenmakingwaves.co.uk where you can hear all of our interviews. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.